It's polarization that causes conflict, not differences. The problem is we other. Forgetting that all of us are first and foremost spiritual beings. We have to stop colluding with each other's spiritual amnesia in order to confront the fierce urgency of now. But, spoiler alert, to change the world, you have to change. Are you ready? Are you ready for some collective transformation? Are you ready for us to take things up a few notches? Welcome. I am Reverend Deborah L. Johnson, also known as Rev D. Welcome to the podcast, Pathways uh, to We. In this particular podcast, we talk about the shifts and changes that we need to make in our society in order for us to be able to bring forth the beloved community where there is equality, uh, justice, and uh, sustainability. As we are approaching now the Martin Luther King Jr. celebration holiday weekend, um, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be a bridge person, a bridge person. This is a concept that we sometimes hear about, and we think of a bridge person as being some kind of a liaison, some kind of like middle ground negotiator between different sides or different groups of people. Um, yes, this is true. Uh, but I want to go a little bit deeper into what that means to actually be uh, a bridge. I bring this up now because I think Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was an excellent example of what it means to be a bridge person. I believe with all of my heart that if we're going to celebrate someone, that the best way that you celebrate them is to emulate them in some kind of way. To celebrate them the best way, you keep their legacy alive. You don't just sit there and marvel at them as being some kind of uh, extreme exception. You look at them as being some sort of a profound example where you actually uh, pick up the mantle a little bit of the work uh, that they were doing. So I want to talk to you about what happens with a bridge. A bridge doesn't go from just one side to the other. Quite the contrary. A bridge has to be built on both sides. It has to anchor itself on both sides, and then it works its way towards the middle. When it reaches the middle, then it becomes the bridge. The role of the bridge person is not to just be there in the middle to try to connect the two sides. The real bridge person is helping the anchoring to take place on both sides. 
The thing to remember about this is that what it takes to anchor on each side could be diametrically opposed. One side could have concrete, and it's so hard that you have to dynamite it to be able to get some pilings in there. You could have the other side that's so soft that you have to bring in and pour in cement. Um, more so on that side than the other side in order to get things uh, to hold. But regardless of what it is that's necessary, it can't start making its way to the middle until it is properly anchored on each side. Here's the problem when this bridge is being applied to human relationships, whether it's something on a one-on-one basis or whether it's something that's happening on a larger uh, societal basis, is that the people on one side look out across the ravine at the folks on the other side. And when they don't see the people on the other side doing what they are doing, the way in which uh, they're doing it, they begin to become suspicious or become convinced that the other side really isn't doing their work. The other side really isn't doing um, their work. If this were a personal example, maybe one person in order to come to reconciliation really needs to process and talk things out. Maybe the other person just needs to be quiet, needs to get away from all of the words and all of the conversation and just steal away inside and clear their head. Well, it will be easy for each side to accuse the other one of being part of the problem. We can't get anywhere because you just keep hammering this to death. You just keep talking about it all the time. And the other person's response is, we can't get anywhere because you won't talk about it. And you just keep stewing in it all the time. Doesn't help. It doesn't help. So you have to make sure that you are anchored on your side. And if you're not intending to be the bridge person, don't worry so much about what's happening on the other side. You have to trust them. And when you see the bridge coming your way, you have to reach out towards it. If you're the bridge person, that means that you're going to be sensitive to what it's taking on the various sides. You're going to be able to reach out and to connect and to help them ground to help them do whatever it is that's necessary. If it's some kind of a conflict uh, between labor and management, or it's some kind of thing between like the red and the blue uh, political spectrums, if it's something around uh, gender divisions or uh, racial tensions, you have to have the capacity to understand 
what each side needs, the way that they think about things and work with them. There are some people who I think because of their station in life are particularly called to play that role and to play that uh, position. What I notice when I look at social justice leaders around the world, uh, past and present, that they all have this common ability. They have this common ability to be bridge people. That there's something in their life experience that makes them empathetic, yea, even sympathetic to, quote unquote, quote, all of the sides, and that they are able to see through those eyes enough to be able to communicate. They're able to see through those eyes enough to understand what the pains are, uh, what the motivating uh, factors are. I personally sometimes refer to this as uh, the Moses effect. Um, Dr. King Jr. was often referred to as our modern day Moses. Moses was a very important figure in Jewish culture. The Black Liberation Movement, particularly the Civil Rights Movement, um, which was very steeped off from uh, its roots in Christian theology. The early civil rights leaders were primarily uh, preachers, young African-American um, preachers. Notice I didn't say the church. That's a whole nother conversation, but specific young um, preachers. And they understood something they understood what they perceived as being the love ethic of the person that they followed, uh, Jesus the Christ, who commanded to love your enemy as well as your neighbor and to love them as though they are the same. Not an emotional kinship love, but a sense of oneness, connectedness, love. So Moses was Jewish, but Moses was raised in the Pharaoh's house in Egypt at a point in time when an edict had been sent out to slay all of the Jewish male infants as a control mechanism to try to do population control and to uh, diminish uh, their power and influence in Egypt, Moses was hidden in a basket. I believe his mother's name was Miriam or his sister's name. I'm forgetting right at the top of my head right now. Um, and the Pharaoh's daughter discovers Moses in a basket in the river. She brings him in and Moses is raised in the Pharaoh's house 
as the Pharaoh's grandchild, grandson. His own mother and sister are there to take care of him like nannies, but he is raised with all of the privilege and the knowledge and the education and the know-how of the so-called enemy that is oppressing his Jewish people. Well, at a point of absolute exasperation, he kills an Egyptian guard when it becomes very clear that this is not a secret that it's happened. He flees the land. He's, he's gone. He gets out of Dodge to save his own life. Many years later, many years later, when he's um, an, an elderly man, there's this famous scene where he is in front of a bush that's on fire that is not being consumed, sometimes referred to as the burning bush. And he gets this call to go back, to go back and to tell the Pharaoh to let his people go, to lead them out of Egypt, of captivity, and to lead them on to the promised land. Martin Luther King Jr. was often seen as this Moses, this one who came to liberate his people from the Pharaoh and to lead them on into uh, the promised land. The reason why I refer to this kind of a bridge person as uh, uh, the Pharaoh effect, I mean, excuse me, as the Moses effect is because Moses had both. Moses was Jewish and he was raised in the Pharaoh's house. So he knew the ways. He knew the customs. Gandhi was, yes, an oppressed Indian. And he was a lawyer under British statutes. So he knew the English law. Martin Luther King Jr., yes, was part of the marginalized African-American population. But he also had a doctorate in divinity from Boston University, where the Liberty Bell is, the seat of uh, democracy of the Yankee Empire, so to speak. Um, so he had a degree undergraduate degree from Morehouse from a black college, but his doctorate of divinity was from the prestigious white university. Even somebody like Barack Obama, I don't think it was a mistake that Barack Obama was biracial. There was a way that he was able to connect having had a white mother being raised in Hawaii, being raised in the Midwest, as well as having African descent. There are all kinds of ways where we find ourselves in these positions, 
where we have a little bit of both. Beware of wanting to take sides. Beware of that. Because there's ways in which you are going to make a difference. And the difference that you make is because of the diversity that you have. It is because of it. If you find yourself in a family, let's just say, for example, you find yourself in a family that you're progressive liberal and your family members are progressive right, I mean, uh, conservative right, this is not the time for you to distance yourself from your relatives. This is not the time. <laughs> now is the time for you to hang in there, take one for the team, so to speak, and still engage those relatives because you have access to them in ways that other people don't. If you're a male and you really want to support, for example, women or the Me Too, Me Too movement, that's wonderful for you to get involved with and to support women. But what the women need more than anything is for you to be a presence with the males. For you to talk to them. For you to work with them and their ideas and uh, their consciousness. This work is not for the faint-hearted. But it's where the real change comes. The real change comes when you move beyond the polarization. Differences don't cause conflict. It's polarization around the differences that causes the conflict. There may be any number of ways in which you are able to be that bridge person where you have the ear, you have the access, you have the credibility for such a time as this, which is another reference which comes out of Hebrew history where there is a woman, Esther, who becomes one of the brides of the king. Her uncle Mordecai puts her forth to be one of them. And then he comes to her at a point in time when there's about to be a disaster, when there's about to be some really harsh, negative treatment that is about to come towards her Jewish people who are not living there in the palace. He begs her to come out of the closet. To let the king know that she's Jewish. And to use that connection that she has, that inside inner influence, that that 
that ear of the king to plead the case and maybe even turn the tide of history. And he explains to her that who knows? Maybe the reason why you're in that close relationship is for such a time as this. I know it's scary sometimes to feel like we are putting relationships on the line. Being that bridge person can sometimes be a real thankless job because, quite frankly, you catch hell from all sides. Too many people think that your loyalty is based in how much you're willing to denigrate or distance yourself from the opposition to show too much compassion to have too much contact, to be involved too much with them can sometimes be perceived as a sellout or some kind of betrayal. It's not easy to be that bridge person. But what I tell you is that we don't have progress without it. We can't move forward in a non-violent, integrated, uh, compassionate kind of way if we're still doing the polarization. I want you to remember that there's really not a lot of difference between the micro and the macro that the same rules and principles apply, which is why I use both examples at a personal level and at a more systemic or a collective societal level. Anything that you hear me saying, try it at home. Try it everywhere. In your families, with your friends, on your job as well as in the larger social, political arenas. Because I tell you, that's how you get your sea legs. That's how you get your your muscle, your strength. Because if you can't do this work on the smallest level, it's going to be difficult for you to really do it at the larger level. Now, I know for some people, it's actually the reverse. For some people, it's much easier for them to have a tough dialogue with strangers about race issues than it is to talk to their own siblings or to talk to their own parents. But I promise you that your capacity to be the bridge person will increase exponentially to the extent that you're able to be consistent in this, regardless of 
what is at stake or who the players are. I'm so grateful to the life of Dr. King Jr. And I invite and I encourage all of us to learn a little bit about how he was able to do what he did so that we can carry on his legacy and his tradition. Breathe that in. Share this podcast with somebody. See you next time. Follow me on social media. Thank you for being with us. Check out my other podcast shows and follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please visit my new website at revdnow.com and join my contact list. I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. The question is, are you ready to change?